Uh, we'll begin with just a 10-minute sit, just to kind of settle us here.
a poem by Annie Lightheart entitled The Second Music. Now I understand there are two melodies playing, one below the other, one easier to hear, the other lower, steady, perhaps more faithful for being less heard, yet always present. When all other things seem lively and real, this one fades, yet the notes of it touch as gently as fingertips, as the sounds of the names laid over each child at birth. I want to stay in that music without striving or cover, that the truth of our lives is what it is playing. The telling is so soft that this mortal time, this irrevocable change, becomes beautiful. I stop and stop again to hear the second music. I hear the children in the yard, a train, then birds. All this is in it and will be gone. I set my ear to it as I would to a heart. Good morning to you all. Your faces are so bright and shiny. (laughs) Isn't it really nice that when you come to the end of a retreat, that the energy is such a happiness, that it just reinforces the poignancy of impermanence and how uh, it actually can be a joyous part of our lives. It's not always something uh, bad or difficult. It's difficult for things to happen and change, but it's not always bad. So uh, James wanted me to ask, see just if there's one or two people that wanted to share something about this morning's practice. You do, Adam? Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yep. I love that poem. <laughs> I, I got to get the name of that poet from you. Um, I was reminded by this morning's practice um, of uh, a, a retreat I went on years ago with Orin J. Sofer in um, Barrie, Massachusetts, um, where we did a um, we did something where you would turn to your partner and you would talk um, just sort of like back and forth or out um, noting out loud out, outward mind, mindfulness. I think is what you called it, James. Um, and then he would ring the 
out Vipassana out loud. Yeah, we were we were doing that, and um, then he would ring the bell. But his instructions were: the moment he rings the bell, you need to stop speaking immediately on the spot. Um, and I was noticing today that people were talking. You would ring the bell and be like, "Okay, now come back" or whatever, and and people would keep kind of like trailing on, chatting a little bit, wanting to finish their sentences. Um, and the same thing was happening with at, with Oren on retreat in, in at IMS, um, and that for me is a lot like the mind. Um, and I've been really working on this retreat with thoughts arising and passing away where you can just watch them and note them as they arise and then pass away. I have this tendency to be like, wait, what was I thinking? I need to think through that thought. I need to <laughs> identify with that thought. What, what was that? And it's really remarkable to just notice um, how in the same way we want to emote outwardly with our speech, with our sentences, with our communication, the same thing happens in our minds. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. I had, I have a question, but I don't know if this is for questions. It basically no. has to do with noting, I guess, just noting our, the, the level of loudness of our notes of our mind and just sort of thinking about how loudly, because I also notice like, when I'm breathing in, I'm sort of like vocalizing a little bit in my throat, like in, out, like, and I notice the formation of like words in my throat as I'm noting, and I'm also just curious about that. But anyways. We're gonna have some time for questions okay. generally. This was just if anybody had anything. Okay, thank you. Are we, are we good? Right. Oh, one more. A metaphor came into my mind throughout this process, and that's of a, a bird a fledging that I felt at times I was protected in the nest and I just kind of moved my wings. Oh, look how these are moving. And they'd feel a little stronger. And then I'd kind of climb up on the edge and look down and think, oh, I'm gonna fall and I'd start flapping. But then I'd gain my balance then I'd see the other birds flying, so I'd kind of jump off and maybe soar down and hit the ground and then have to, with my claws and my beak, climb up the trunk to get back <laughs> in the nest. And then finally, I push off and I flew and then I realized I was flying and I crashed. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I did it, but what did I do? I hope I can do that again. And then maybe once or twice I flew and just felt it felt good. Yeah. But always wanting to come back to the nest. So yeah. it was just really an amazing thing. And I'm, I know I have to keep strengthening the wings and keep trying. And sometimes I'll fall and crash and other times I'll... Be up there soaring. Yeah, great. Good. Okay. Um, I see a couple more hands. Um, I'm just wondering if we can hold this until we actually take questions in general, or did you just really want to talk about the session this morning? This morning? <laughs> 
Okay, go ahead. Um, so this retreat, I've done a lot of work on getting out of my head and more into my heart. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this retreat, I've been doing a lot of work on getting less into my head and more into my heart. And this morning's session, and I kind of think of it as not just the sit, but the breakfast and the after, um, it was an interesting evolution where someone from group had asked me how everything was going. I just started crying. Um, <laughs> poor thing. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then when I was talking to other retreatants that I had built a relationship with dishwashing or sitting next to, all of a sudden my heart just wanted to dance with them. I could just feel this like skipping and, um, lightness that, um, it was just really beautiful just to see how it kind of had accelerated because of the practices this morning. Great. Thank you. Why don't we save the rest until um, we take questions and answers? I'll give you a little uh, kind of an overview of how the morning's going to go. I'm going to share some comments, how we... Uh, all of us are going to share some comments about, you know, going home. And then uh, hopefully we'll be done by 10 o'clock and then we'll open it up for 10 o'clock and then we'll open it up for taking your questions and sharing comments. If you don't hear anything from what, if you know, what we share doesn't actually answer your question. Um, and then we have a, there are couple of procedural things that we do uh, to formally close a retreat and hopefully we'll be done by 10.30ish. That's the plan. So I'm going to start with some comments, you know. Um, I've been on a lot of retreats for varying lengths for a long, long, long time in my practice. Uh, I, you know, I was a lawyer, so I was a junior lawyer, and it meant that we basically, our time off was only granted when all the senior lawyers had their time off. So most of my early, what I would call extended practice time was on day-longs and non-residentials. I'd say for the first sort of five years in there, mostly all I could do was go on a Saturday day long uh, or a what are called non-residentials where you just are really it's two days or it could be a Friday night talk and then two days of practice. And that's how I did extended practice for a long time until, of course, I became a senior attorney and then I was always gone on retreat. <laughs> so I just am sharing that because sometimes we can think it's all about retreat. I got to get to the next retreat. And it is important, I think, to go on a retreat. But even if your life is unfolding in such that you can't just get to a retreat, don't poo-poo those day-longs and those non-residentials, those days of just uh, setting aside, being quiet, um, and having an extended period of practice it's really the extended period of practice with other like-minded practitioners that helps strengthen our practice. And so the Buddha at one point said, 
uh, to his attendant said that he had this epiphany, you know, and he goes, oh, I see, Sangha is like half of the practice, like this, ah, I got it. And the Buddha was like, no, that is not it. You don't got it. The Sangha is the whole of the practice. So without each other, it's almost uh, it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, to maintain our steadiness in a world that's uh, so against us. It's sort of like, that's why we're not against us individually, but against the uh, philosophies or principles or just the connection we're cultivating. It's why this practice is often called, uh, you know, you're moving against the stream. And the stream is going one way and you're moving against it. But when you're with other beings and you can feel that current that's pulling you along, then your capacity for staying with the practice, no matter what happens, gets stronger. And I think the only other thing I want to share is that, um, so I'm encouraging you to find a sangha and don't poo-poo or diminish the value of just taking a day long, a Saturday and practicing or a weekend and practicing. There are lots of day longs and weekends that are offered through Spirit Rock and um, it's, it's, it's just the connection of being with Sangha. But not just here, they're just all over now. A lot of them are online, so you can set your house up as a sanctuary, a retreat hall, and you can begin to cultivate that. And there is nothing better than bringing your Dhamma as a sanctuary into your house because uh, it kind of bridges that oh, I go on retreat, and that's that world. And then when I come home, that's that world. But then the second thing I want to encourage you with is um, don't be surprised about what happens to you. Don't be surprised. I, I can remember, I think I told this in one of my groups, I can't remember if I told it here, but for years, when I started going on retreats, it was such a foreign thing to my family that you would go on a retreat and not talk and be silent. It was just like, what are you doing? Which kind of cult are you in? What is that you're doing? And I loved it. But it was not of my world. That I loved this. And I would come and I would just wrap in it. But it was not of the world that I would go home to. And the world I went home to was very, 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 very different. And so um, my family decided that I should have a coming out of silence party at the end of every retreat. So <laughs> Cloud, Mountains, Cloud Mountains retreats went, uh, ended on a Friday. They would go from Friday to Friday. And so every Friday night, I would drive from Cloud Mountain, like about the time here, 11 o'clock it would end. I would drive to my sister, who I never got along with. I'd drive to her house, and there would be all the rushing about to try to get the party stuff together and get all the food. And I am just like, 
on the inside, but I'm trying to be all nice because I'm thinking, I just meditated. I had samadhi. I, I, should, I should keep it. And I would make this huge effort to try to be still and happy and soft like I was on retreat. But it was noisy, loud, drinking, and it would not be long before I was cussing out everybody. <laughs> everybody. Up through it, all of you people. <laughs> and the, there was all this little kind of passive aggressive, is that what they teach you on retreat? And <laughs> maybe that meditation is not for you. <laughs> it was so difficult. And I would internalize all of this and swear there was something wrong with me. I couldn't do it right. I should be softer. I should be kinder. I was softer. I was kinder. What happened? And then one day, my car did not start. I was going on a retreat. My car wouldn't start. And I called my friend. She goes, sure, I'll give you a ride. She came and picked me up. We went to the retreat. And I called my sister and said, we have to put the party two weeks off because I can't, I, I can't just come straight there. I don't have a car. So I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. But in two weeks, I had settled down. I did not know that, I was, that it was my sensitivity level. I didn't know that. And I only learned that because something happened and my car wouldn't start and I couldn't go, go to the usual party after I get out of retreat. And that's the way it is with this practice. Some of what you may think is, oh, I'm not getting it right or I've lost it or something's wrong. But it's just a a film that you can't see what really is happening in this moment. And so I learned to stop being so um, judgmental and negative around my expectations, around how I should be when I come out of a retreat. And keep this practice close to the heart, sacred, tucked in, Share it with like-minded people who understand what you're talking about, but really protect it from your world that doesn't really understand it. Because they can step all over it. Not, I don't think my family intended to harm me. I think they really thought that this is what we should do to help Tori, because she probably wants to talk all the time now. <laughs> so they would all talk to me to try to get me to talk. And I didn't understand. And so once I got that understanding, then we never had a party right after I'd come out of retreat. It would always be this kind of delayed thing. So that is just a, I just want to encourage you to trust that you will learn how to balance your practice, especially for those of you that are new. You will learn how to balance your practice with retreat and your life, and you will learn how it all fits in there together. But um, don't fall into that trap of just uh, going with that ego's opinion about what you should look like and be so critical of what actually happens. Just give yourself a little bit of break and say, oh, it's okay, this is just the way it is right now. This is what cussing out your sister looks like 
<laughs> this is what cussing out your sister feels like in this moment. <laughs> and just leave it on a much lighter, softer, and let it unfold over time. Thank you so much. <laughs> Also appreciating your the radiance, what we call the Vipassana facelift. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 really remarkable. Uh, at the same time, I feel the joy, and I I have to say I'm sad. I I, I feel like I'm having a little bit of a um, a drop just because uh, the ending, at least for me right now, feels a little tender and sad. And that's okay too. I think that's part of our practice is to is to grieve and you know, easily, and not think it's some kind of aberration. It's just part of part of our life. And I guess that leads to to one thing that I found helpful. You know, I'm I'm just making this up today because it's um, I wasn't sure exactly what Tuwari was going to. Share. And I do want to. I do want to piggyback on her sangha thing, but I won't do that yet. But in terms of the the loss and change, and um, one of the things that I have found so helpful since I first was turned on to practice, I stumbled. I somebody called me the um, the Forrest Gump of the Dharma scene. I stumbled on different teachers and and all these incredible teachers, and I ended up stumbling on the Dalai Lama in person before I even know who he wa- knew who he was. And I was in Asia, and he sent me to study with a, a Lama who spoke English beautifully, and I don't, don't even remember his name, but for days and days, he went over and over this one teaching, which is, today it's often called the four reminders, but in those days it was called the four mind-changing reflections, that if you reflect on this, it'll turn your mind toward the Dharma and, and keep giving you that sense of urgency and that urge to really take advantage of your, of your life and your practice. And this teaching is to reflect every day on the preciousness of this life. Um, and how actually from the Buddhist cosmology, how difficult it is to get here and how we could be born in so many metaphorically and maybe literally we could be born in such different circumstances and we are born as humans with that equal, hopefully relatively equal measure of pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and shame and all those things. So it creates enough friction that it, that it, uh, that we don't just go to sleep that we can actually, um, anyway, perfect conditions for practice, for making something of our life, and especially those who, those rare few who have, who could have the good fortune of hearing the teachings, and then the impulse to put them to practice, and then to actually go to a retreat and feel that kind of, 
that's a very rare thing. And so to really take advantage of your great good fortune. And in general, it's uh, not to let your life fritter away, um, making other plans, if you know what I mean. So that's the first reflection that every day, the preciousness of this existence. And the second one reminds us that it changes. And, it, and your condi- these situations, these conditions can change on a dime. Uh, weather, resources, health, um, you know, just so many conditions that can change. And so to not to uh, operate in fear of conditions changing, but in really letting that percolate so that it has, brings a certain urgency so that you, you really inhabit your life. Because you haven't lost things yet. You know, you, I mean, we've all lost things, but we haven't lost this life yet. It, we're still able to, to practice. And that's the, that's the rub of the whole thing is I'm here. And I want to make that as alive as possible. And it's so easy to get clouded by our, by our obsession with what's next. So the second one is to reflect on the law of impermanence. The third is to uh, know that, um, yeah, it's, it's precious, permanent, but everything that you think and you say and you do has consequences to reflect on the law of karma. Uh, and I always think of the Hafez poem where he says, you carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into a nightmare. Don't mix them. You carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them. That This precious uh, real time is, it's empty right now. It's empty. It has no, it has no meaning right this moment until we plant the seed of either our attention or our delusion or our love or our aversion. And this is the womb out of which our future life is born right here. And to really take care with our, with our words and our thoughts and our actions. And I took that to heart. And just one of the things that I I did from that day forth is whenever I sat, I would say to myself, um, may this sitting, uh, you know, part of one of the encouraged seeds is to plant a seed of altruism, like James was speaking about last night, to to serve. So I would sit, I still do to this day, may whatever uh, this, may this sitting be uh, dedicated to the welfare of, of others. Um, and then the second would be, may whatever I offer be um, for the benefit of all beings. And then the third one would be, may my life be for the benefit of all beings. And whenever I, I would do that, and at first it seemed very conceptual and a nice idea, and it felt good. But then after doing it for year after year after year, I just really felt that sense of being taken over and and now I, I, I do feel in the, in the happiest way that this life doesn't belong to me. It really does. It, it is, there is a wider circle of care and affection that I don't have to be busy trying to create. It just kind of makes sense. Uh, so just plant whatever seeds you plant. And of course, we, we're always looking to plant the most 
wholesome seeds. And the teachings give us you know, that loving kindness and generosity and altruistic intentions and all, all that's just great for our, for our own mind stream and for the people who have to live around us every day. And that, of course, that includes committing to, uh, to, I don't know whether James was going to get into this, but to the, the basic training guidelines that we've been following over the retreat every day I'm, um, to have a reverence for life, not to cause harm with a bodily harm to any being, to uh, respect other people's property, to not take what's not offered, uh, to not exploit anyone's bodies because of our greed, our lust, uh, to really take care in our um, intimate relationships, uh, to, and to take care with what we ingest if we really want to be clear. We don't want to cloud our perception with a, you know, a lot of uh, intoxicants, including our excessive use of our phone. <laughs> Uh, and I forgot one, but that doesn't matter. I think you get the point. But just really keep planting those seeds of intentions and then practice uh, harmlessness. The, the Buddha said of all the, of all the four kinds of worldly happiness, being free of debt, having possessions, enjoying them, the fourth and 16 times more valuable than all the others is to, um, is to be blameless or to to be harmed, to not cause harm. So, let's see. Oh, and then the last one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely in a little bit of a sludge this morning. <laughs> but uh, the, the fourth one, remember, preciousness of life, impermanence, karma, the defects of samsara, that... Life has in it the definition of birth. It's the leading cause of a, of a life that has difficulties. Not only is it, the, is it the definition of birth, the leading cause of death, sickness, aging, but it's the life has, it has defects. It has things that are hard to bear. It has unsatisfactoriness. It has dissatisfaction. You're not alone. It's not just you. And uh, it's important that we, that we find our, our balance with that. We find, we let it be the cause of, of um, compassion rather than thinking something's wrong with me, which then feeds that whole view of self that it, it thinks of ourselves as a problem to solve rather than an experience to meet with kindness. So those kinds of reflections that life has difficulties, unreliability, unsatisfactoriness, impermanence, our actions matter, uh, it's precious. We don't want to forget that. Um, just a couple more minutes. Hmm. Having been on retreat a lot in my own life, I used to get a little bit nervous before the ends. Not just a little bit nervous, I'd get kind of anxious. Anybody have any anxiety about going home? And one day I realized that part of my anxiety 
was the way I was thinking about going home. Naturally, our, think, our mind is the forerunner of a lot of most of our reactions. Really nothing happens but except our, our mental formations. And so the way I was framing is that I was going to take my little practice and I was going to take it into my big life and my, all my to-do lists and all my conflicts, all my relationships, and I would think of all those things and then I would get flooded with, with worry, anxiety, or everything that went with each thing. Again, nothing happened, but I had just created a world in my own mind of one being small and two going into a big world. But then I realized that that was completely backwards. I'm not taking my little, I'm not integrating my practice into my life. That's the conventional view. What I realized is I am always exactly where I am. Even when I'm zooming down the freeway, I'm right where I am. And the scene changes and I come home and the people are, show up into my field of awareness. But I'm always right where I am. And I realized that the integration is not of my little practice into my big life, but my big life, but my life into my practice, which is right where I am. And then when I realized it's only and always right where I am, what can I actually handle in my practice? I can handle this moment, right? I can't handle the one before or the next one. And I realized that, that if I just stay here a little bit more in my daily life, keep integrating my life into my practice, which is right here, I know I can handle a moment. I, you did it here, and you can do it at home. It, is there awareness? What am I aware of? What am I dealing with right now? Just one moment at a time. I can't handle the next one. It, it's unborn. I can't handle the one before. It's gone. So I know that to break that spell, that, that view of myself as a little fledgling meditator going into a big life, it's, to break that story is hard. But, but that's what you learned here is to say, okay, that's a great story. And it's great to tell your friends that that's what you're doing. But what you really experience is just a moment. At a time. And that brought so much relief. And I literally would sit three-month retreats and then go into New York City. And it made a big difference when I went into New York City at, during Christmas time. It made a big difference knowing that it, I just had to handle a moment at a time. And I would sometimes get overwhelmed and cranky and this and that. Okay, that's what I'm experiencing. So if that reframing helps a little, I hope so. And there's just so much more, but that's all I have for right now. But it's just such a joy to be with you. I do want to do piggyback just on the, on the Sangha part. Um, I mentioned the first night about, about um, the lessons from geese. And just a little slightly reframe about Sangha too. One of the joys of Sangha you know, we've been online at Mission Dharma every Tuesday since the beginning of COVID, and it's still juicy because people not only may receive some benefit from sitting with other people, 
But there's also the joy of knowing you're supporting other people. Um, So consider that when you think about sitting with other people, is what you can actually offer just in your presence. You don't have to be any great yogi. You don't even have to be a joiner. You don't have to even think of being a member. But just keep giving a little bit uh, by your presence. And that's part of the... The, uh, the joy of Sangha as well. Love to see all of you on uh, Tuesday evenings. Uh, that's all we're doing right now is online, except for every other month, we are in person on half-day retreats at Fort Mason in San Francisco. And the other months, we're online for everybody everywhere for half-day retreats. Um, but otherwise, Tuesday night, love to see you. Thank you so much for your practice. Can't tell you how much I've loved being with you. Maybe um, Terry and um, can go now. Terry and, and Eve can say some words now. <sighs> I have end of retreat aversion. Um, <laughs> I can totally identify with Howie and this a little bit of sadness. Um, Sometimes I I think about this poem um, by Basho, a haiku. Even in Kyoto, I long for Kyoto. And um, at least I'm still here. In the beginning days of my practice, I would actually leave often um, before this morning session. so I'll just, I wish I could just say goodbye. <laughs> but I'm sort of expected to say a few words. Um, so, <laughs> so I actually, I wrote down a few things, and I need, I need these notes um, this morning. Um, first of all, I hope that the retreat yoga has been a support for you. And <laughs> And I really do um, hope that it um, worked for you and that um, it'll work for you when you go home. I mean, we, this is, we have this body, it's a gift, and we can take this with us when we go home, and it can be a refuge. Um, just coming to the, that beautiful realm of changing sensations in the body. Um, I woke up thinking about um, Apamada, the last word that the Buddha spoke. And, you know, this, it means care, um, this careful attention to all things. So this careful attention to the body I think the body really likes this. Um, and it's also, um, it's a gateway, you know, to loving awareness. So, coming back to the body. Um, I, James was talking about letting go this morning, and I just thought about how, how hard it is to let go. You know, I loved um, being with you in the mornings, especially. Um, and thank you, James, but this song came into my mind, um, and it's stuck. 
Um, breaking up is hard to do. <laughs> Neil Sadaka from the 60s, coma, coma, down, doobie doo, down, down. Um, breaking up is hard to do. Neil Sedeka. Neil Sedeka. Neil Sedeka. Um, so I think that's everything that I wanted to say. So I usually, in, at the end of my yoga classes um, that I teach, uh, dedicate um, the merits of the practice. And so I'd like to just do that now, because we didn't do it um, during the retreat. And we're going to do a dedication later, but I want to dedicate the mindfulness merit (laughs) from the movement. Um, So with mindfulness and great care, may we direct our energies towards the blessing, towards blessings for all and a shower of blessings for all of you. Thank you. Um, My discovery about practice, one of my discoveries has been that it only ever happens right now. And so we can, and, and, and it's good to like think about what's coming next and shore ourselves up so that we remember practice in a week or a month or a year. And the best, the best thing to do is right in this moment, this one we're in right now, like can you feel your body? That... Um, so there's basically two things that happen in practice. We are aware of the present moment rather than lost in thoughts. And then we're meeting it, the present moment with care, loving awareness. That's what we're practicing. And the best way for me to have some kind of a chance to be in loving awareness of whatever is arising in a week or a month or a year is to be in loving awareness of what's arising right now. And when we're present, we can feel into the impermanence that Howie was talking about. And like, like, like we're fireflies. We're here. We're here for a blink of an eye. Our lives and this moment right now, I'm looking at you and you're so beautiful and I love you so much and I'm so grateful for your practice. And I'm going to blink my eye and I'm going to be in the car with James going back to Berkeley. I'm going to blink my eye maybe a few more times and I'm going to be on my deathbed. What matters while we're here? This moment, this is life. And it's imperfect. It's always imperfect. That's the truth of dukkha. It still deserves to be held in like patience and love and curiosity and warmth. And the more that that we do that like right now, whatever is arising, 
body, emotions, mind, the sense doors, what are you seeing and hearing? Holding that with this vast love. That's what, when, when Tuere was talking about the Brahma Viharas, holding it with vast love and vast love can look different depending on what's happening. Like right now, maybe I'm holding this present moment with friendliness, metta. Or to the extent that there's some kind of nervousness in the body about speaking right now, hold that with compassion. Enjoying being with you, seeing you, this precious moment. And then our sangha goes out beyond us and there's our sangha in the trees and the birds and the deer and the turkeys. And just as an aside, um, at, at the end of the day, I, 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 I practice gratitude by texting my sister three things I'm grateful for, and she texts back. I recommend that practice. And I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but I was walking to the hall or this way, and there were a bunch of you standing here, out here on the, um, quietly all standing, laughing at a turkey. I put that in my gratitude to my sister, our turkey siblings in the Dharma path, and you. So yeah, just like Ramdas says, be here now. And then, and then, yeah, shore it up because there's so much momentum of the thinking mind. We've got so much conditioning to be lost in that. So sangha daily practice. Tara Brock has this great thing. She just made a commitment to um, practice every day, no matter what. And sometimes that might be just as she lays down on her pillow, in breath out, breath in, breath out, breath. Good night. <laughs> but a, a determination to practice so that we don't have those, we have fewer and fewer of those weeks and months and years of being lost. One yogi here said, Oh my gosh, there's only two things. There's presence and distraction. Right. That's right. There's the present moment, the kaleidoscope of the present moment that Howie was describing. We can be here for it or not. So to support being here for it, sangha, 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 sangha. Reading the Dharma books, listening to the Dharma talks. And if you can, if you're an introvert and you can push through your introversion and go to your edge and actually go to a group, that's really, really, really helpful. So James and I um, co-lead the Insight Meditation Community of Berkeley. James started it more than 40 years ago and he invited me in recently. And we're hybrid, so if you're in the Bay Area and you want to come sit with us, we're at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery or you can tune in online. And we all have offerings, and there are many, you're aware, there are many, many different offerings. That's it. Thank you. So I'll say a few words, a little behind schedule, but um, we're right where we are, (laughs) right in this moment. Do you want to say that? 
Just a little shameless self-promotion. Now, you may have seen my little book out on the, in the foyer. It's a very small book. Uh, it's really stripped away of all the uh, jargon. It's really just a pointing out to the reality of the present moment and the opportunity to practice that. And uh, it, um, it's been, just for those who you are interested in it, and those of you who have family members who may, not, who may think you've gone off the deep end and joined a cult, uh, <laughs> it is a great bridge builder because it, it's so accessible and it's, a, it's like a little gift book. And so um, hope you enjoy it. And it's called, uh, what's it called? Invitation, Invitation to Meditation. <laughs> Great. Anyway, have fun with it. So first I want to um, really appreciate uh, this team. That we really enjoy each other a lot. I, I have a, a feeling it showed. Um, and just while being here now, you can think into the future. We'll all be back here uh, if conditions are right uh, next Labor Day. So come and sit with us. Uh, it's been a real, just a real joy. Um, there's something about, as Terry was saying and, and others, about leaving this refuge. This is a refuge um, uh, that is, is a letting go. So um, I really hope you honor and let yourself feel whatever you feel and know, oh, now I can uh, put my practice out into the world but this next, this next week, usually there's a rule of thumb. As long as you're sitting, give yourself a chance to move from the slow lane to the, the faster lane. Um, and so in this next week, if you, it's likely that you will go through energy swings, lots of energy, and then you might crash. Along with that, mood swings, like Tawari was saying, until she, uh, till her card broke down and she she took a little bit more time. Um, that you know you uh, you're really sensitive. So if you can enroll the people in your life to be a, a bit more uh, gentle with you and patient uh, for this next week, and then see if you can stretch it out some months or years or so but um but particularly you know you're sensitive so um you want to listen to what you need and if you might you might need oh i just need to um um soak in a hot bath with some music or whatever it is nourish yourself this next this next week um as uh, uh, Eve said about Tara, I, my um, commitment to myself for many, many years is that I will just get into the posture every day. Because the hardest part is getting there. Once you're there, I can't remember having meditated and afterwards saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> But getting there, that's the hard part. So 
even if it's just sitting for five minutes or two minutes, you know, and I'll always ask myself, when did I sit today? Usually I sit in the morning with, with my wife uh, and do a lot of teaching and all, but when did I sit today? Oh, I didn't. And I'll, I'll just sit right then. So take that. Uh, it's so easy for the practice to, uh, to get squeezed out. Um, the Buddha has some suggestions to uh, to somebody who is whose practice isn't rooted deeply in a beautiful discourse that I won't get into called the Magiya Sutta, the, where this uh, attendant uh, was was ready to sit. Uh, wanted to practice on his own, and he practiced, and he saw his mind was everywhere, and he came back, and he said, "Wow." this is harder than I thought. And the Buddha said, remember these things. And I'll just, a few of them were named. Good friends, the whole of the holy life. Sila, as was mentioned, that our actions really uh, create the foundation for inner peace. Wise speech, he separates that particular aspect of the precepts because it conditions so much what our interactions and our minds saying what's truthful and what's useful with a kind intention. The fourth is weakening unwholesome states and cultivating wholesome states. And when they, those wholesome states are here, don't miss them. He said that's a good thing. That's what my Awakening Joy book and course is all about. To cultivate wholesome states and when they're present, let yourself enjoy them because the more you're present for them, not just, oh, that's a beautiful sunset and what's for dinner, but, oh, let yourself be touched by life. It's much more deeply registering for you. Um, And then the fifth, as Howie was mentioning, impermanence, no matter what's happening, that's the one reflection he said, keep on tuning into. If it's great, enjoy it, it will pass, and then let it go. If it's not, if it's difficult, what can I learn right now? Knowing it's going to change, so you don't have to be fretting, oh, I'm going to be stuck here forever just, oh, what can I learn now? This is, how is this deepening me, opening me up? So that's the Buddhist suggestions for supports as you leave. And along with that, one, my personal practice for many years, which I want to offer to you to take on, keep looking for the good. It's so easy to see what's wrong. And we're wired up that way with this almond-shaped cluster of neurons that are amygdala that's scanning the horizon for what's wrong. It takes practice to tune in to what's right and to what's good, both inside and around you. And the more you look for the good in people, the more likely you are not only to find it because your brain is tuning into that, but you actually can bring it out and draw it out. 
if you're looking at somebody with judgment, they can feel it and feel not themselves. If somebody is looking at you and sees, and you can sense they're seeing your goodness, you relax, you're yourself, and that goodness shines through. So you have a powerful effect on everyone around you just by looking for the good here and out there too. <clears throat> I, last night I spoke about <clears throat> the fact that your practice is not just for you. So whatever, however you deepen your practice, just expressing your care and your love really fills it out, like that Bhikkhu Bodhi quote, you know, or that, um, I don't know if I mentioned uh, Andrew Harvey's phrase, follow your heartbreak. See where your heart is breaking, and then um, take some movement towards uh, relieving that. And whether it's a, a big a big uh, theme like climate or uh, injustice or all the ways, all the craziness of this society, or just taking care of somebody who needs support, whatever it is, just expressing your practice for your own benefit, not just theirs. Um, and I will uh, also mention, come and sit with us, uh, at, uh, in Berkeley and online every Thursday night. And there's some courses that I have coming up, the intro to Insight Meditation, a six-week course on the basics, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, Five Hindrances, etc., and establishing a practice over six weeks where you're practicing, not just hearing a talk, but you're practicing in between. Uh, and I love sharing that. And then after that, there's a four-week Brahma Vihara um, course of practice. Um, so there's some information on that and love to share it with you and love to share Thursday nights as well. So I want to just end with um, a passage from Be Here Now, of course, that um, has really meant a lot to me. There is, in addition to the up and down cycles, an in and out cycle. That is, there are stages at which you feel pulled into inner work, and all you seek is a quiet place to meditate and to get on with it. And then there are times when you turn outward and seek to be involved in the marketplace. Both of these parts of the cycle are a part of one's sadhana, spiritual practice. For what happens to you in the marketplace helps in your meditation, and what happens in, to you in meditation helps you to participate in the marketplace without attachment. So keep on doing retreats. What is happening to you is nothing less than death and rebirth. What is dying is the entire way in which you understood who you are and how it all is. What is being reborn is the child of the spirit for whom things all are new. This process of attending an ego 
that is dying at the same time as you're going through a birth process is awesome. Be gentle and honor that which is dying as well as that which is being born. So we have a do we have any time for questions? Yes, please. So a few uh, <laughs> and we'll be uh don't go far. We're 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 gonna be finishing in just a few minutes. Come on back. All right. So we'll take a few questions while people are and is it on? All right. Let me see. Testing, I think. Yeah. Here's uh oh well. Thank you. And right close to your mouth. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, my voice sounds so bizarre. Um <laughs> I, you know, I just want to express my incredible gratitude for every choice you guys have made in your lives that have brought you to sit before us, before me, in this way. All of it, good, bad, whatever, because your generosity of heart has landed on mine. And... um there can be joy in difficult times. I cannot express my gratitude enough for relaxed, attentive, interested, and balanced, not only in how I walk, but in how I approach absolutely every single solitary, mindful moment that I have. Um, you know, you. I just want to thank you. I, you know, my, I have so many questions. Mm. I'm sure the answers will come. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Any questions about going going back and take a look at some hands? Yeah. I guess what I'm experiencing right now is what I think of as anticipatory, anticipatory, boy, I can't talk, anticipatory loneliness. And um, a part of it has to do with, I know I'm kind of idealizing this, but I'm going back to the East Coast, and I know that there maybe are a few people here from the East Coast, but most of you are from around here, from the West, whatever. And so I have this little fantasy that everybody else is going back to, you know, this at home, but I'm not. <laughs> and it's brought to mind also other ways in which I, I will give myself some credit for developing enough so that now when I observe myself feeling lonely and not part of things, I just say, oh, that's me feeling this, but I don't have to buy into it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'd appreciate a little bit of... Um, I don't know, advice or some words about about that loneliness. And, you know, it makes me realize, too, it's not just the loneliness of leaving here. It's the loneliness of 
you know, the ways in which I'm lonely in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, well, you know, I can feel how sad I feel. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, thank you. And yes, there, there will be times that there's loneliness and you take that as the, as the next thing. But I would encourage you, wherever you live, put in your area and put in insight meditation and you'll likely find some sitting group. Um, every day, actually, there are, there are sittings online every single day throughout the, the country, throughout the, throughout the world. Um, and if you, um, there, there's a, actually a directory of all the sitting groups that happen. Sangha, but get to, get to know people in your area. Uh, there's also Dharma Seed, lots of books and, and, and talks. But um, you might just see how you can engage and share your practice. There's a lot of good people who don't know Buddhism, you know, who are, who are just hungry for what you know. And you can start a little book club. You can start with friends. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I just want to say I have done that. Oh, good. I have started those groups. I lead those groups. And I'm lonely. Um, mm. You know, part of it is just maybe the nature of where I live. Sometimes I think it's something that I'm just never never going to have and have worked mm -hmm. hard over the course of many, many years mm -hmm. to, um, to make those things happen and have them, have them not, not really work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. And so while I appreciate your, you know, your suggestions, it, it frustrates me too, because it's not like I haven't done that. I've done those things. Mm -hmm. And so now what? I just want to add something, and this is a little risky in a way because it may sound like I'm diminishing the feeling of loneliness, but there have been so many readings that I've, um, that I've been exposed to and then shared that had, a, had an impact on people where they not, didn't just notice, oh, this is loneliness, like from a distance, you know, a little space around is great, but really... Uh, the teaching is about feeling the loneliness. Now, of course, you're going to notice the, the momentariness of that wave. And that's relieving, too, to know that it's not a monolith. But the, the, bigger, the deeper impact of, of that experiment of really being with it is it's often given way to a sense of aloneness, which was very strong and powerful and, in fact, joyous. And maybe you've played with that a lot, but transforming loneliness into aloneness, which is aloneness without the aversion. And so, again, it's a little risky to say because I don't want it to sound like, like I don't completely respect the, that feeling of uh, loneliness, but it's, it's something to play with. Any other
Thank you for that. Um, I was just thinking about the, uh, from this morning, about the uh, collective energy of this group. I was thinking like we were the last five days building like a Tibetan monk's sand drawing all together. And uh, it's beautiful. that the, the idea came into my mind of this, this beautiful work that we had done together. And then we started talking and I thought of the mischievous monks that go and wreck all the sand at the end. I thought, well, that's just it. It's beautiful. So thank you for that. And, uh, and it's that sense of impermanence. It sort of was a transition to maybe uh, what I'm thinking more practically now and to the, the topic at hand was, um, and Terry, you had said it about family and the family doesn't always understand about the, the cultish nature of what we're doing. <laughs> so, so I'm lucky. My wife is a Buddhist, but uh, she's the one who turned me on to this, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but others don't, and it's difficult. I bought an electric mm -hmm. car, so then they tried to convince me why an electric car was bad. And so this is on a different level. So any insights that you've had with family would be really helpful. Thank you. Um. I guess what I would say is uh, I just keep, I kept my practice sacred for a while. I told someone, I think I told it in my group, one of the groups, that they just didn't understand. And I felt drawn to the practice. And so I kept it sacred. I mean, I, I kind of understand what uh, the other uh, practitioner was saying. There is an isolation and loneliness in that. You can be around a whole bunch of people and still have this sense of I had to keep it to myself and couldn't really share it with everybody. But what I do know is um, over the years they begin to understand something was happening to me. And it wasn't so much of me telling them, oh look what I'm doing. It was more about, what are you doing? What's happening to you? I can feel something here. That <laughs> something different about you. You know, little changes they started noticing. And I was sharing with my group that my mother, before she died, said, you know, I'm kind of glad you stayed with that Buddha guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, we worked it all out. <laughs> But there was a, I, I think I begin to realize that if I didn't challenge their understanding and their faith and their way of looking at the world by imposing what was happening to me on them, they could settle and just let me do my little crazy thing mm -hmm. over there. And that gradually um, created a space for both of us to live in the same area, same world together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that that's my, mm -hmm. I mean, it feels in this room like, oh my God, I got to tell everybody, this is fantastic. And it really feels that because we have actually worked through some of the difficulties of mind. And we kind of have to let people do that on their own. Mm -hmm. It's not something we can impose upon them. And that learning, as much as I wanted them to find the Dhamma in some way, it, it, it turns out they didn't have to. Mm. I just had to keep the Dhamma, mm. and I could be around them just fine. Mm. Mm. And I'd like to 
just piggyback on that and, and give a suggestion. Um, you've probably touched something really sacred to you, as as Tori just said. Don't give it to everybody. You know, don't don't give away your precious understanding. Uh, you know, on the on the third day, I had the sitting, and I wasn't around anymore, and uh, and I didn't exist, and uh, yeah. people aren't going to get it, and and it just becomes a story. Um, so you want to be careful who you share those precious things with, and others just want to know that you're okay, you know, or maybe you can just sum it in a, a few words. Oh, I learned to be kinder to myself, or something like that, but. Don't try to proselytize. Let let the the interest on another person's part draw you out. Really helpful. First time I did a three month retreat, my parents kind of freaked out. You're joining a cult, and then they saw it was okay. And that the second time they said, "Didn't you get it the last time?" <laughs> <laughs> but little by little, just like Tawari, oh, something good is going on there. Okay, as as Ramdas said to somebody who was having a hard time with her her family, who thought she'd been possessed and and brought in an exorcist. This is a really hardcore um, evangelicals or hardcore um, fundamentalists, and she had this whole litany of all of the crazy things that were happening. And she said at the end, but you know, my parents hate me when I'm a Buddhist and they love me when I'm a Buddha. Just be a Buddha. That's good enough. Or your version. So just we, a, as we're, uh, are you done, Jane? I'm just saying about, about the time. But, uh, yeah, the well, just as we're transitioning, I just want to add one little law that goes along with the not proselytizing is any uninvited advice any time in your life will be experienced as an attack. And so wait (laughs) or be a Buddha. (laughs) Anyway, good luck. You know, there are people that have to put shutters. Yeah, we should, yeah. Um, there's some people here that have to catch shuttles, and so we really should transition so we could say goodbye. And um, there's a a piece of practice, a formal um, asking and sharing of forgiveness. That's a very real part of practice. Uh, I had a monastic friend one time tell me that in the in the monasteries when they do the formal asking and sharing a forgiveness or offering a forgiveness, it's done really to the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. They're not really saying it to each other. They're saying it more towards um, asking for forgiveness to this kind of Buddha Dhamma Sangha that uh, any of my conduct could have caused harms. So we'd like to do this formal ceremony almost in a way to help us uh, sort of uh, acknowledge what happened here and leave what happened here here and not carry it around with us even further. And so it's very simple. I'd like to do it this way if we can. Uh, I'll just be the voice of the teachers 
and we will offer forgiveness to you, and we'll do that in a bow. And if you could, just take it. Just You don't have to bow back. Just let us offer forgiveness to you, or ask for forgiveness from you. And then I will be your voice, and I will give you an opportunity to ask forgiveness from us, and we'll just sit here and bring that in. And then we'll do it one third time, a third bow, where... Uh, we will extend forgiveness to each other. You may want to. You may think you've done something. You want to ask for forgiveness for each other, and extend forgiveness to each other, and even to ourselves. And so we'll do a third one, and then we'll all bow together. Anyone that wants to participate. All right. So, um, on behalf of the teachers, we recognize that we are uh, human, and that we can cause error, and so for any uh, possibility that we may have caused you harm in any way from our actions, from our just our thoughts or things we've said, um, whether we knew that this was harmful or not, we ask for your forgiveness. And then uh, on behalf of you, um, you recognize you also are human. And when you get a lot of humans together in a room, uh, anything can happen. And so if you think that there's any way that you may have uh, caused harm to the teachers, um, either by your actions or by your words or um, things that you're thought, um, and whether you intended it or not, whether you knew what you were doing or not, if you want to ask for forgiveness, please do so by bowing. And then finally, for all of us here, um, it's, I mean, it's both remarkable and it is um, difficult to be in community together, lots of people together, and it's quite easy for us to offend each other, and there's a urge to want to make amends and uh, apologize to your formal yogis. Maybe, you know, you went up the stairs too loud or you felt like you closed the door and somebody was walking up and you should have held the door open. It's, it's amazing how simple little things we feel it as we get more and more and more sensitive. And so if you feel as though your, your actions or your thoughts, the judgments you had or things you may have said, you were talking and against the noble silence. And if there's any way in which you may have caused harm to a fellow yogi, um, or uh, whether you knew it or not, or if you want to extend uh, forgiveness to a fellow yogi and just say, we're good, everything's cool here, even yourself, then we'll all bow if we want to do so. Great, thank you so much. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. So um, we would have we have one more uh, thing to do in closing, 
But to do that, we want to get in a big circle, and so we need to kind of clear the room out. So if we can, quietly, wait, some of you already know what we're going to do, so I'm going to tell the people that don't know. So we're going to do this in silence. It doesn't take very long. We'll just steadily go and put the cushions back into the little cubbies and take the larger ones out through this door, kind of beat them a little bit on that railing and go around and bring them back in through that other door, and we'll stack them up color-coded in front of the cubbies. The chairs come about three inches from the wall so that a broom can get behind them, stacked in twos. And we just stack them in twos all the way around. Um, And then as soon as we get finished, we'll get in a large circle and have a final saying of goodbye and sharing merit.
Okay, come on in. Can we kind of Everybody else? Move around a little bit yeah, the, just uh, equalize the simple. First question, uh, um, who is catching a shuttle in the next few moments? Okay, so, we're, so we'll just, uh, we'll do quick. Um, one, one thing that I uh, like to do at the end of our retreats is uh, sing together. Um, I don't perform, but I like to sing with people, so you've got to help me out on this. And if this song gets stuck in your head, um, you'll be happy. Uh, and this will be your instructions, this little light of mine, all right? And because um, it's all about letting your light shine and everyone benefits from it. And then Eve is going to do a, a, a closing uh, dedication of merit. All right, so sing with me Mm-mm. and enjoy it. Mm-mm. This little light of mine, let me hear I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, everywhere I go, everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. Everywhere I go, let your light shine, I'm going to let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. To everyone I meet, to everyone I meet, I'm going to let it shine. Everyone I meet, I'm going to let it shine. Everyone I meet. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Last time, this little light, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let your light shine. Okay. I'm a little stuck here. There's a tradition um, of what's called dedicating the merit of our practice. Dedication is generosity, which is this incredible, empowering, connective energy. And merit is, is goodness. And we've cultivated a lot of it here. And um, as has been mentioned, we're not doing our practice only for ourselves. We're doing it for us all. 
And so we're going to dedicate the merit of our time together, of our good hearts, of our very lives, to the benefit of all beings. So, ah, this feeling that you have a body, feeling the feet on the floor, and whatever is happening for you internally, energetically, knowing that this is a moment in time and that the path that you're on is a beautiful path. May the merit of our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings know peace and the causes of peace. Blessings on your journey. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.